Okay, we'll start here in just a minute, waiting for a few people to get on. Good morning, Frank. Hello, Robert. It's good to see you here. Got to have one more. We have to have two or three. Actually, we got two. There's three. Hey, Barbara. Good to have you on today. All right. Judy Miller. Love you, Judy. All right. We're going to start. Love all you guys. Linda Ho. Hi. Okay. We're uh, continuing our teaching on uh, the 12 uh, faculties of the divine mind and man from our uh, spiritual code and symbology of the living word. And uh, I really got excited about this last week <clears throat> because there's been several times I've taught different things in the Bible that uh, list that there's 12 of them, which I'll talk about that later on. <clears throat> but in traditional Christianity, uh, I pointed out last week, the apostles are the 12 men that I listed in our previous session and in the third chapter of this book that Jesus chose to aid him in ministry to participate with him and to learn from with him. And Jesus himself was even referred as an apostle in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1. So he was an apostle uh, because Father God set him apart and sent him out. And so the same thing. So with a spiritual understanding, the 12 apostles are seen as symbols of what I would say are the 12 highest active virtues and faculties of people who stay in contact with Father. Everybody has these faculties, but they're not necessarily active. Would you agree with that? You know, everyone has Holy Breath in them, Holy Spirit in them, but the Spirit of God is not allowed to be active in them because they don't live that way. They live as carnal. You know, we call it dead in Christ or alive in Christ. Some people are dead to be in contact with Father. Some people are alive to be, in, to be able to be in contact with Father. So these faculties are, are that we're talking about by picturing the names of all these disciples, they're, they're really empowered by staying in contact to the divine mind. Uh, again, the word says to be carnally mindful is death, to be spiritually mindful is life and peace. And so that's staying in contact with Father. These virtues and these faculties are in turn spiritually understood as represented by the 12 astrological signs of the zodiac. We've heard uh, Lynn Howells teach this before. We've heard uh, Kay teach about the zodiac and the, the, the signs and how they all picture spiritual truths in them. Uh, there also, uh, there was a doctor named jo Joseph Seuss, C-I-S-S, and he wrote a book on the gospel and the stars. And religiosity tried to disdain him and you know, deny what he was saying. Then we have the 12 tribes of Israel. We have the 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest. We have the 12 loaves of bread on the table of showbread. 12 spies sent out by Moses. The 12 stars of the sun-clothed woman, which was, she had a crown of 12 stars, which was a covenant mentality. Uh, there's 12 foundations in New Jerusalem. That's who we are. We're New Jerusalem. There's foundation that we stand on and her 12 gates and her 12 precious stones and the 12 gates of Nehemiah. You remember we taught that before, Donna? 12, uh, 12 wells of Elam, which one of these days I want to teach that. I, 
I studied it years ago, but I haven't taught it. And it goes on and on and on. All through the Bible, there's all kinds of things that are actually, there are 12 of them. So people may be wondering why are there so many references to the number 12 seen in the Bible? Well, there are many codes in the Bible. And if we can break the code, then we can understand the truth. You know, a lot of, uh, we, we can, in our history, back during the, the war, World War II, I guess it was, Germany was always trying to break our war code, and we were always trying to break their code. In fact, Don and I watched a movie years ago about a guy that invented a machine to actually break the code, and it was part of how we, uh, how the World War II was won. I believe it was World War II. And so once these codes are broken, then it will bring great understanding to those who are being enlightened. And the truth is we need to be enlightened. And not everybody is being enlightened. Everybody can be, not, but not everybody is being enlightened. So if a person's not after the light, no matter what you say to them about the code or the symbolism, it's not going to matter to them because they don't care. In fact, they're taught that that's dangerous like my uncle taught me and you need to stay away from that stuff. But 12 is a number of great and universal sacredness. It's a sacred number. The number 12 symbolizes God's perfect divine accomplishment actively manifested, it shows the completeness of a growth or it shows completeness of administration, if you would. 12 also marks governmental perfection and is used as a signature of Israel and its number is used 197 times in the Bible and it's used 22 times in the book of Revelation. So it must be important when you think so. I do. <clears throat> so, uh, it, literally, spiritually, it speaks to us through these disciples as a symbolism, again, of the 12 faculties and what each name represents. So today we're going to look at Andrew. And if you remember last week when I went down the list, Andrew comes under strength. The small of the back is what it says when you, when you look it up. And <clears throat> he's the second disciple. <clears throat> so in the human body, the upper and small of the back is called the thoracic spine and it has 12 vertebrae. Having a strong back muscle can help promote correct posture, and we all know that, enabling a person to stand upright. I have some problems in my back. I've got pinched nerves. I didn't take good care of my body, and so I notice quite often I, when I'm walking, I'm bending over, kind of looking at the ground. And I heard somebody say, uh, I think it was on Facebook or somewhere, or maybe read a poster, but several months ago that if you stand upright when you walk you look 20 years younger <laughs> and you know I looked around and looked at people that were bent over and they did look old and they looked frail and people that stood upright literally looked younger and so I've tried to practice standing upright however I have a couple pinched nerves on my back and when they pinch I go down why because my it, it, it makes my back weak and it even will make my legs weak where they can't hardly hold me up and so there's a lot of spiritual truth in that. So when I visit uh, a doctor, particularly an orthopedic doctor, because I've had several surgeries on my knees, or a chiropractic doctor, one of the first things they want to ask you is, how long can you stand? And uh, when you stand, does it hurt? <laughs> and I always say, I can't stand very long, and when I stand, it hurts, because those nerves are pinched. Fortunately, I found a good chiropractor that's about five blocks from our home. I'm excited about it. And I believe he's going to help those nerves and I'm going to go to him because I need my back straightened up and I need my 
back strong in order to hold me. Same thing is true spiritually. And so uh, we need a good physician of the living word that can come in to help us stand. And I'm going to show you scripture where Father does that. Comforter messengers do that. Uh, listening to the voice of our spirit does that, if we would, that can help us stand. And Paul was always, always talking about standing, was he not? And you find that all throughout the Bible. So in Exodus 14.3, we find the first exhortation to stand still. The Hebrew word for the phrase stand still is to station oneself, to remain, to stand upright, to be firm, establish, and stay. Now, if you remember, Scripture says that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So my back, I can go to the doctor, and I'm just giving an example. He can do his work or whatever, but there comes a time that I have to do something that's even greater, and I have to strengthen my back. He can't strengthen my back. Only exercise can, and walking can, and not just sit in a recliner all day long, you know? And, and all that. So there's something I need to do physically that I can do. And then there's something I can do spiritually. And that's allow the very spirit of God to do that for me. So if one, spiritually speaking, has a weak middle back, if you would, weak middle back, they cannot do any of those things. And any, in many cases cannot stand at all in what the Father has done. And in the new outlook of the books of the Bible, which is the real word for testament, because there's no such word as testament, in the Bible, in the New Outlook uh, books of the Bible, we find the word stand, and in the Greek, it's, hist it's histami, H-I-S-T-E-M-I, and it means to abide. You know, the Bible talks about if we abide in him and he abides in us, God abides in us, you know, it uses that all the time. It means to point, it means to continue, it means to covenant, it means to establish, it means to hold up, and it just goes on and on with many other meanings. And then the root word to it is historia, H-I-S-T-O-R-E-O, -E and it means to be knowing or to be learned. It's something that you are. You, you are knowing. We know because we have the mind of God. We have the, the, the divine mind. And so it means that also. So throughout the epistle, and remember, we've always said all this is about awareness, right? It's always about an awareness. What are you aware of? And if you're aware of the, of the things of the divine mind, then you are knowing and you are learned. You ever met somebody say that's a learned person, a learned person or whatever? So throughout the epistles, we find the apostle and others writing these following phrases. And I paraphrased them and I translated them to what they really mean besides what the King James Version said. One is we have access to Father with confidence of his holy breath in us, wherein we stand. We were chosen from the foundation to be sons and daughters of Papa. We stand in that. Therefore, we stand in our position as a son of God or a daughter of God. Papa helps us stand. We stand in the eternal decision, decree, declaration, and judgment made by Papa that we are all upright and holy. We live in Papa's, Papa's perfect image. We stand in the gospel of the living word, of the living word. Watch and stand fast with confidence in the living word and quit living as a mere human. Be strong. And I called Kay on that last night because she had quoted again last week when I was listening to her. She was talking about what happened to Isaiah when he told 
them to cease living as man whose breath is in his nostrils. In other words, like us, he told them, quit being carnally mindful. Quit listening to religiosity. Quit listening to the powers of the earth that preach gloom, doom, and despair, and listen to your divine mind. And you know what they did to him? They, they drew and quartered him. That means they tied his hands to a horse, another hand to a horse, arms, and both legs, and let those horses, and they ripped him to shreds for that. And as Kay said, that's what they will do to you when you tell people to cease being man whose breath is in his nostrils or his understanding is in the sense realm. So I just happened to find this, and Paul said the same thing. He said, watch you, stand fast in your faith, quit you like men. It's just quit you like men is what it said, and be strong. In other words, quit being like a carnally mindful person. And it's true. When we try to teach people that, they do that not necessarily physically, but they destroy you, your reputation, if you would, and they speak against you. Then it says, by confidence, stand. Stand fast in the liberty from the law and the mistaken identity that Jesus revealed to you. Then another one is stand therefore, just stand, you know. And another one is stand fast as one holy breath, one mind and one body. And then one is stand against the lies of religiosity and the other carnal systems of the earth. Stand perfect and complete and stand fast as Papa embodied because you are. Those are just a few that you can go through. And all through scripture, we are told to stand. And even in the Old Testament, if you remember in my previous book that I haven't published yet to this series, we read, we read all over where it said, stand still and know, stand still and know. So we find one of the disciples whose name is Andrew. We were gonna name our son that, Andrew, or middle name, but we ended up naming him after me. But his Hebrew name is Andreas. I like that name, Andreas. It's A-N-D-R-E-A-S. And it means manly, it means a strong man, and it means strong. That's what it means. So Andrew was a brother of Simon Peter. And Andrew is only mentioned in the four Gospels and then in one place in Acts. You would think there would be more about him in the Bible, but there wasn't. But he did a lot. Andrew was a native to the city of Bethesda, just a little history on him in Galilee. He was the first, uh, he was at first a disciple of John the Baptist, and then he was led to Jesus when John pointed Jesus out as a son of God. That's in John 1, 36. <clears throat> he then brought his brother uh, Simon to Jesus, telling him, we have found the Messiah. They were all looking for something to come, to somebody to come, right? They believed there was a prophecy of the Messiah to come. So they both returned to their occupation then as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and they remained there until John the Baptist was imprisoned, and they were called by Jesus to follow him. And that's interesting that they didn't even know him, right? Never even seen anything about him at all. And he said, follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets and they followed him. So further mention of Andrew in the gospel includes his being ordained as one of the first 12, his calling, uh, his calling attention to Jesus about the young man with the loaves and fishes, you know, because they hadn't prepared to feed the 5,000. And Andrew must have known something because why would he say, well, here's a young man that has a handful of fish and a handful of loaves if he didn't know Jesus could do something? And I believe he did. And then his introducing Jesus to the Greeks when the Greeks said, we want to know him. We have questions for him. And then Andrew was, uh, uh, they actually, they wanted to know about the destruction of the temple too. And then Amber, Andrew was one of those who, after Jesus was transported 
as to he transported himself, they stayed in the upper room. As scripture relates nothing else beyond those scattered references. Now in old historical, uh, mystical, which are spiritual books, old, old books that the church has never been allowed to read or look at or even know exist, there's a lot of talk about him. And they call it tradition because supposedly there's no facts. <clears throat> and these names that I'm going to say to you, I do not know how to pronounce them, so don't laugh at me. <laughs> but Esabus writes of him preaching in uh, Cynthia, uh, Jerome, and another place in Acacia, which is Greece. And it's supposed that he's founded a church in Constantinople, and it was ordained by a man named Stacy, which, na which named by Paul. And then at length, of course they say tradition says this, but at length he became, uh, he came to Patria, a city of Acacia, and the pro-council there was enraged because he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the good news. And he demanded that he would sacrifice to heathen gods. That's really cold. Are y'all cold? I'm fine. You all right? Okay. So I'm fine then. But he, he was demanded to, to uh, worship and to join in the sacrifice, and he wouldn't do it. So they severely scourged him with a cat of nine tails, just beat him half to death. And then they crucified him on an X, not a cross, but on an X, if you would, two poles like that. And rather than nail him to it, they just tied him to it because they wanted to prolong his suffering and his death. And it took him two days to die. And the whole time he was on the cross, he was praising God, giving glory to God. And uh, they say he died on November 30th. I don't know where they get that from, but it doesn't say what year. And the, he was, he was form, the form of the cross was called the Crux de Cusata, and it's known as St. Andrew's Cross. So he suffered greatly, but I believe he did a lot of great works because he was strong. And when you're strong, you're strong in the power of God, and the power of God is love. And if you love people, what do you do? You're, you're going to go help them, just like Jesus did. So while Andrew wasn't nearly as prominent in the New Testament, he still clearly had a very important role <clears throat> in the early church, and he did so in great strength. So as his name declares uh, uh, strong, the heretics at that time tried to leverage his name and authority to advance their teachings, the people who were totally anti-Jesus. A heretic is somebody that doesn't believe what you believe. But there were heretics that were anti what Jesus taught. So it's written in many ancient books of the supernatural, what I would say normal works, because they're not supernatural, they're normal. But as far as mankind is concerned, there was a lot of supernatural works that he performed, but religiosity states that they're all heretical. They're not real. In fact, many of them says it was just a lie. And that's what they said about Jesus, right? So now that we have knowledge of his physical life, then now we want to see how, what he symbolizes to us in the meaning of his name. <clears throat> he represents, again, strength of mind, strength and awareness, strength and faith, strength and confidence, if you would. And that is rejoiced greatly when it finds the exhaustible source of all strength. It explains we have found the Messiah. I could say, because of who we know we are, and the strength that we have, we can say we have found Father. Father's in us. Because we didn't know where Father was. We were told that Father lived on a planet trillions of miles away called heaven. And we were told that Father sits on a throne and he judges us if we do good and he punishes us if we do bad. And 
That's what most of us believed all our life, and we really didn't know where the Father was. And that's why I say there was a time in my life where I was kneeling down praying, and I would say, Father, would you touch me? Just touch me. I need to know you're real, because you've been trillion miles away from here. I have no idea if you're real or not. You know, so we could say the same thing. We have found Papa. Papa's in us. Papa's in everyone. Papa surrounds us. So he symbolizes the strength while Simon Peter, like we said last week, symbolizes faith. And when strength finds faith or confidence, that's pretty good, right? When you're strong in the Lord, strong in the knowledge of the Lord, and then you, like I've been teaching you lately, you find your real faith. And faith is not your faith. Faith is the faith of Father's faith. That's the faith that we put our faith in. So when we find that faith, then we're strong. Because if we know God would not lie to us, and we, that we know God's, God's thoughts and God's voice and what God speaks is the source of all things, then it makes you strong. And so we find that when the two are brothers, which these are, faith and strength, then there's a bond of unity that establishes and carries one along in all their life. Even though you encounter uh, uh, adverse experiences, you can stand strong in that. In this earth today, there's a lot of adverse things going on. But because we have faith and we are strong in the word and strong in our knowledge and strong in who we are, then it carries us, carries us through those uh, adverse experiences to where we are not bothered by them. We are not hurt by them. I do believe when you're in this place, no matter what goes on in the world, you're not going to be affected by it. And it's very difficult for us because we still consciously hear these things come at us constantly. And that's why we had to fight the good fight of faith or the good fight of confidence. So we find Andrew along with Peter who made their living fishing. And they heard Jesus say again, come and learn from me. That's what it really meant, come and follow me. Uh, I asked Kay, I called Kay yesterday and I called Butch. And I said, I think we really need to do some meditating. And I, and I feel like I know some of it already, and Kay does too, and Bush does. But we really need to do some teaching on why was it that Jesus, a stranger to these people, could walk up to him and say, follow me. And they dropped their nets. They dropped what they were doing. And they followed him. He hadn't done any signs yet, you know, because they were a generation that was looking for signs and wonders. He hadn't healed anybody yet. And he hadn't even preached to them yet. There was something about him. And I believe a major part of it was he was one that stayed in contact with Father. The Spirit was speaking to them. Yes. Yeah. And so it's important for us to understand that because he said, come and learn from me and I will teach you how to draw and awaken others. So what I want to do is I want to be able to let my light shine so much that when I go to people in my community and people I know, and say, listen, we have found the real good news. Would you come and follow us? Would you come and learn with us? Because currently they're not doing it, <laughs> you know? And I'm not taking the, you know, I'm not putting the blame on all of us completely, but there's something that has to take place that gets people uh, to turn from their distractions. Because they said, sure you have. Okay, let's go have lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah they don't believe it. That's right. So the fishermen here, because they were fishermen, symbolizes seeking to awaken others to the living word and teaching them how to stay in contact. When he told them, I will make you fishers of men, 
That's what he was talking about. I will make you, I will enable you to give them what will attract them. Because a fisherman has bait, right? They have certain kinds of baits. Now, these guys use nets because there were so many fish. But a fisherman actually has bait. Well, our bait is the living word. I don't want to say, we'll come to our church and we'll get you saved. We'll teach you how to talk in tongues. We'll teach you how to work. We'll teach you how to please God. That's not bait. That's bringing you under law, if you would. And so Peter represents the spontaneous, fiery zeal of the soul. He was a spontaneous guy. The psyche, which finds balance and strength and endurance in the integrity that's seen in Andrew. So that kind of calmed Peter down some, if you would. Andrew being strength or manly is clearly related to substance. It's related to confidence. If you have strength, you have confidence. And, and you know that you can go forth and do anything through contact with God that strengthens you. You know, the Bible says Christ that strengthens you. But it's not Jesus here strengthened me. And that wasn't Jesus' last name anyways. But it was contact. So if I'm in contact with Father, it strengthens me. It empowers me. If I'm in contact with a good professor that's a great teacher, and I stay in contact and I study from that professor, then that empowers me to function in whatever it is they're teaching me. If it's science, then I'm, in, I'm strong in that science because I, stay, I stayed in contact, uh, contact with them. So the result of the supernatural of this person becomes active and creates the life source of I exist. You know, the word, where it says I am, it means I exist. Well, I exist lives inside of us. So strength is very important to us. More than anything, the implication by Andrew's name meaning strength is we find spiritual strength that comes from within, not without. We're not looking and we're not going somewhere else for our strength. Our strength is within. Job said, my help cometh where? From within. And so through spiritual strength, there is a setup, an inviting thought action that contributes to building up our already redeemed body. Our body is redeemed, but because we don't know it, we don't believe it, we don't expect it. And I expect, and I am expecting my body to, to show forth its glory, to, to be what God created to be. He did not create this body to be in pain. He didn't create this body for the blood pressure not to function properly. And my blood pressure is good, but I have to take a real small blood pressure pill and I may not have to have it anymore. I've lost some weight. I don't know. But he's expecting us to live out of, out of the life of God that's in us, not from outward sources. Because outward sources are always man-made things, right? So through spiritual strength, there is a setup and an inviting to, to really draw from father and and an example i like is when aaron and his sons were were set apart to be priests they were baptized in water and what is water in the bible the word it's the word it's actually the living word it's not a surface reading of the word not a carnal word but it's a living word so literally they were baptized in the living word which is a declaration of spiritual strength a directedness of power and it's bringing a person to a new state of consciousness. We have, we who have been studying this for many years, you people on Facebook that have been following us. Hi, George Watson. Good to see you. We've been baptized in the living word to bring us to a higher state of consciousness. My consciousness is, is a million times greater than it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. 
I mean, 20, 15 years ago, I would have stoned myself for teaching some of these things. But I love what I'm teaching because it's brought great peace to me and great comfort to me. And I hope to other people. Because yes. it's not physical. It's, it's not mental might. It's not power. But it's by, uh, Zachariah said, it's, but it's by my spirit. It's by my holy breath. It's by my voice speaking to you. That's how you learn is listening to the voice of one. And you can hear the voice of one speaking through comforter messengers. John the Baptist was a what? He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. So Jesus wasn't the only voice of one, right? There were many other voices of one, but none like Jesus. So it's vital that we declare our strength within and constantly declare it to ourselves. I'm strong. I'm not weak. It's a permanency, though, and it brings permanency to the Bible, to the body. And it sets up this abiding action that continues while our attention might be elsewhere. We can be at work and busy working, but yet this, this mental might and this mental power is active and can work at any time, whatever. And there is distraction out there, but again, we can allow this, the very breath of God to function. And it's, and it's like a vital organ. When I was thinking about this, uh, when I was writing this, I've talked about there are some vital organs in you that if they don't function, you're dead. I can lose my hand, but I can't lose my heart. Can't lose my liver, my, my lungs. I can't lose my brain. But do we make it work? Do we sit here and say, uh, eat some food and say, okay, now digestive system begin to function. You know, I don't tell my heart to beat. I don't tell my lungs to breathe. I mean, I can make them take deeper breaths. But when I'm unconsciously doing something else, it just breathes on its own. Isn't that amazing? My heart pumps all by itself. Because it's got the life of God in it. It was created to do that. And I love, and I've seen pictures of it. You can cut a little part of the heart out and set it on a, on a Petri dish and it's sitting there pumping. Every cell of that heart has within it the life to keep pumping, to keep moving. Because it's a muscle and it's made to function until that piece would finally die. And so how much more is this source within us? How much more is the life of our Father in us that... If we would just relax and be still and know, we can trust that source with our entire body, with this entire planet. The whole earth vibrates, if you would. There's energy. And, you know, we've talked about the, the, the neurons and the atoms. And, you know, I'm not real knowledgeable on all that, but it's energy and it's God. So we find many stories in the Bible that mention all types of animals, mainly horses and cattle and sheep. These animals symbolize the physical strength and the natural vital forces in the body. So there are natural vital forces in our body, but they come under the control of God, of Father, of the source, where the world wants to control them. I'm not, I'm not against doctors, but doctors want to be the controller of your natural systems, right? The big pharma wants to control your natural systems. I was watching this morning a little bit on the news and there was a commercial came out for a new eye drop for dry eye. And, you know, they were talking about it. And then all of a sudden, here's the side effects. Dry eye, itchiness, burning, everything that you need it for, it causes that. So man's ways are temporal and they don't help. And often they bring worse problems to your life. So why not trust Father? You know, and the reason most people don't is because they really don't understand Father. So we do not think about our vital organs to make them function. So we don't have to walk around thinking about our spirit all day long because we are spirit. 
We are holy breath, if you would. <clears throat> so we've all known people who like people in Isaiah who left their spiritual awareness and went to the, those cities. You remember I talked about the restoration of the remnant. I taught that a long time ago. <clears throat> one other name means darkness. Another one means alone. Another one means shut up. Another one means enclosed, not shut up by mouth, but shut up. Uh, one is living as though being alone and separate from father. All those conditions cut a person off from their life source within. When you, when you don't know you're one with God, that cuts you off from your life source, from really experiencing it. When, you've, when you have no understanding, which means in a dark place, you're cut off. When, you, when you're like a well shut up and there's nothing flowing. You know, the Shulamite, he said, you're like a well shut up, a garden enclosed. In other words, you're not in contact with me, if you would. And so you're not experiencing what you need. And so what happens then again is we, when we're that way, we go after medicine, vitamins, exercise, and help that comes from man, from sensory knowledge. <clears throat> I'm just showing you some places where it talks about strength in the Lord. Naphtali, remember, you remember Naphtali? Naphtali was one of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. His name in the Hebrew, Hebrew is Naphtali, N-A-P-H-T-A-L-I-Y, Naphtali. And it means my wrestling and from the root word, it means struggle. And we've heard all those stories about him. But he refers to the strength that's centered in man whose breath is in his nostrils, if you would, in man. The center is located in the ridge region of the kidneys. That's where kind of the center is in, the, in our kidneys. And the office of the kidney is for certain watery, hindering substance to be passed out from the blood. If your kidneys don't function, you die. Why is that? Well, because there's stuff that is released into the blood that we don't need that goes through the kidney and it processes all that out of there and it's turned into urine and it leaves the body. But if that's not functioning, you're going to die. So naphtali signifies the weighted down, if you would, the worn out feeling and that we experience when our strength has been given over to physical effort and physical might. It wears you out. You remember the saying, spiritual burnout? I, always, I never agreed with that because I, there's no way if you're functioning spiritually, if you're functioning as the holy breath of God, that you would ever be worn out because it empowers you, right? right. So what wore ministry out is carnal burnout. Dealing with marriages problems, dealing with divorce, dealing with the finances of the church, dealing with the board. I mean, dealing with a board could kill you easily unless you have a really spiritually mindful board and i never had a board i had a board i had a group of elders but not a board but all that stuff will really burn you out and so it's kind of like if all this stuff in your blood the impurities doesn't pass out of you you're going to die what's one of the first things that happen doesn't your liver start shutting down too and you start turning yellow if you would and you start getting really weak because there's all kinds of toxin in your blood. It, it poisons it. So we need, we need our kidneys. So uh, Naphtali's name mean, seems to suggest the thought that delight, pleasantness, sweetness, and beauty are all the result of giving oneself over to the expression of the sense realm or the physical realm. Everything they tell us to do will make us beautiful. 
But the Bible says we are altogether lovely already, right? But the world gives us all kinds of things to make us look beautiful, to make us pleasant. And there's seminars you can go to, and there's miracle stuff that you can put on your face, and you can have facelifts. And I mean, it's non-ending. And the reason they're doing so well is because they know people aren't happy with themselves, right? right. They, they, they always want to look like somebody else. And we have these role models that are really not role models that we find out, well, what kind of makeup are they wearing? What kind of exercise are they doing? What kind of clothes do they wear, right? And there's billions and billions of dollars to spend on that stuff that brings no help really whatsoever. It's all temporal. It's a mask, if you would. And religiosity puts on that mistaken identity, right? And they, so they teach you that you're a sinner saved by grace, you're a sinner. And so they sell you their cure and it never helps. It's never permanent. So the mistake that mortal might and man had always made, but he must rise to this understanding that real joy, real peace, real comfort, real knowing who you are comes from being in contact with Father. That's all it means. Immortal-minded means what? Liable to die. We think we're going to die, and if somebody can give me something to make me live longer, let me try it. And I, I can tell you, I've tried things before. I've had friends that, that sell multi-level marketing things. I've done it myself. And there's all these things that come, and you take it, and you feel better for a little while. Sometimes I think it's psychological. Sometimes it's full of potassium. You want it to work, and so you begin to feel better. There's the power in what you want. Huh? It's a placebo effect. Yeah. And most of them I've seen is full of potassium, and if you take a lot of potassium, potassium makes you feel better. Yeah, right? So the truth is uh, they were seeking things under the sun, if you would. And Solomon's diary, I call it his diary, in, in Ecclesiastes, uh, he, he will, it's a really good example of seeking everything under the sun. And when I mean sun, I'm talking about less than who you really are. There's nothing new under, the there's nothing new under that. So I'm, I'm reminded of this, and I'm going to tell it again because there's some people that's never really heard it. But a few years after Father set me apart in ministry and consecrated me to, to do what I do, uh, I've often had many opportunities to doubt my calling. I don't anymore, you know, but I used to. And uh, Brother Garner was supposed to come teach at our fellowship over here on Southwest 4th Street. And he was going to preach a uh, four-day meeting. We'd had him here before. And two days before that, he called and said they had a death in the church and he wasn't going to be able to come to our fellowship. And I was disappointed you know, because we always enjoyed him coming. I was a little worried. Well, what am I going to do? Because I didn't think anybody wanted to hear me. And he, <clears throat> he said, well, you teach. He said, you're fine. He said, people won't want to hear you. And I had a series that I, four, a four teaching series that I had written that I was wanting to teach to our fellowship. So I thought, well, I'll teach that. But I was respectful. So I called all the pastors. There was about six or seven churches that were going to come. So I called all the pastors and I asked, I told them, I said, Brother Garner is not going to come. I'm still going to have the meeting, but, you know, I'm not expecting you to come. And every one of them said, no, we'll be there. We want to hear what you have to say. And so I thought, well, good. So I was prepared to teach. I studied and we get there. And the first night there were three people there. 
You know, we're used to about 70, 80 people come to those things. And then the next night, there was, I think, four or five. The next night, there was like seven. And that included our congregation. And I went home broken, upset. I cried. And I just said, Lord, I don't think I'm really called to do this. You know, because that's the evidence right there, right? <laughs> but I was kind of stupid because Father told me when he called me that he's going to give me a message that many people wouldn't want to hear. But to keep teaching it. But it's, it's a hard calling. You know, it's like Jeremiah's calling. It was very hard. He was called the weeping prophet. But uh, I couldn't hear Father speak to me until I went to sleep because I was whining. You know, and I was thinking about it. So, so I went to sleep. And a few years before that, I was in the furniture industry. <clears throat> and Father uh, gave me a dream. Craziest dream you ever seen. I was at Evans Furniture. I remember the aisle and everything. And I was in the second up position. So there was a man there. It was his turn to greet a customer. And then I would come up and greet the next one. So he's there. The door opens up. And two eyeballs come in about the size of a, maybe a basketball. And there, you've heard this, haven't you, Norma? All these years, you've never heard this? Wow. Two eyeballs came walking in on two sets of six legs. And they came up to him and he said, uh, he said, may I help you? And they said, the mother will be in in just a minute. And so just a few seconds passed and the door opens up and this great big eyeball, like a giant size of a beach ball, that big, came in with 40 more eyeballs. And every one of them, including the mother, was on six, uh, two sets of six legs. And so the mother went up to the man that was up front and then raised up, just raised up kind of like a spaceship, slowly and got eye to eye with him. He, of course, she only had one eye. And I never even thought about that. That's the single eye. And uh, he said, may I help you? And she said, no, you're not the one. And so she went back down and then she came to me with the, little, the other two. And so she raised up at me and looked at me and prior to that I used to have dreams of having gum in my mouth and and paper clips and I couldn't get them out I just it just they were just I would pull them out and they'd be always there and sister rector told me uh, from our previous church that that means I have a word inside of me but I'm not able to articulate it yet well back then that didn't make sense at all but it does now and all of a sudden rebarb you know what rebar is you know it's rods of iron that they put in concrete to strengthen it, to put in other structures to strengthen it. And that's why I'm telling it, because Andrew means strength. And they just began to shoot out of my mouth just as fast as they could, just kept coming out of my mouth. And, uh, oh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. First thing she did is she kissed me. Now there's no lips, but I knew she kissed me. And it was the longest, most intimate kiss I'd ever experienced. And it was an impartation. And then she backed away and then rods of iron started flying out of my mouth as fast as they could and somehow or another I was able to mumble and say what does this means and she said it means you're the one and in other words I'm the one that father called to do what I do and so she went down and she went and got the other 40 and brought them to me and then she left and then I woke up and for years even today I keep getting revelations out of that you know, the Bible says he'll rule the nations with rods of iron. And iron means strength. Rods means the living word of God. 
and they were on two sets of six legs. Crucified, died, buried, quick, and raised the seed. You know, the revelation of all that. They were already on it, but they needed to be taught. And there were 42 babies, and there's 42 generations from Adam to Jesus. Well, when you add them up, there's only 41. We're the 42nd generation. So, basically, I was hearing he was bringing people, not all people, because there's many messenger comforters, but bringing people into my life to teach and not to worry about it. And from then on, I've never questioned Father one time. I never forgot the dream. And any time I doubt, I remember that dream. And it's powerful to me. So the reason I share this is that that rebarb, rebar, or rods of iron, pictures the living word been taught with understanding and within, with strength. And again, if you look up rebarb, it says it's a strong metal. It's put in concrete to keep it from breaking. It's put in walls to keep it strong. It's a builder up, if you would, or it comes along a foundation, if you would. So in scripture, the symbolism of the word rod represents spiritual power. Spiritual power. Mankind has always considered a rod to be the, be the symbol of the living word, of the love of Father. You know, I know we quote a verse all the time, spoil, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. It doesn't say it that way. It really, I was reading it last night. It's pretty mean. It talks about beating the child. And, but I don't believe that's original scripture. Uh, even when I look it up in the Hebrew, it says, but I do not believe Paul instructed David to write a psalm about beating children. But he may have done it on his own. I just don't think it was father. But to me, spare the word of God and you spoil the child. And I told that to a lady one day that her daddy beat her pretty good. And she said, I wish you would have told my daddy that a long time ago. You know, so the rod and closing can be considered a symbol of the power of the divine life. Andrew functioned out of the rod, out of the living word of God. Even though we didn't see anywhere in scripture the mighty works that he did, he did lots of mighty works because he was strong and the power of God. And so... The rod also uh, is a symbol of mastery, a symbol of constant contact with Father. If you remember, they called Jesus Master, did they not? Yeah. Why did they call him Master? Because he, he mastered living in contact with Father. He mastered living as a, a comforter messenger, and that's what he was called to do. So when we've gained mastery, and it's not so much that I have to practice anything like sword fighting or whatever, in other words, it's when I realize that I have the mind of God already. I know all things. I know everything. And I can do all things through which contact with Father strengthens me. You have to stay in contact, right? And I know I say it over and over and over, but it's new. It's much better than saying Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we thought, well, where's Jesus? I just I always thought, well, Jesus is in me. And it's like I said last week, we're always saying it's Jesus that's doing the work. It's not Jesus that's doing the work. We're doing the same work that Jesus did. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Because Jesus said, these things you will do and you will do greater than I did. Because Jesus was in a, in a very small area. We're in the whole world, the entire world. So this, this, uh, we, we gain mastery because it's expressed in our thoughts as order and strength in our whole body of life. When we listen to the thoughts of God, and we allow the voice of one to speak to us and make us the voice of one, then we can function in full authority and full power, and we're bringing help to the earth. And I know most of us are doing that in many measures, and we're going to do it more and more. So 
I'm surprised I got through that quicker. I figured it'd be earlier. I've got about 15 more minutes. So you may go get some more notes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. So that blessed me. I hope it blessed you. It's pretty powerful. So uh, you guys watching me, I, I was thinking about something on Facebook. Uh, you know a lot about me. You know a lot about my wife. And I talk about Norma and our members and our fellowship. But uh, most of these people don't know you guys real well. So I'm thinking about possibly doing a Zoom meeting with everyone that follows our teachings and where we can all introduce ourselves. We can tell what's going, what we do in the world, you know, maybe give everybody five minutes to talk. So if any of you are interested in that, if you wouldn't message me and tell me that you are, and then I will set up a Zoom meeting and we'll just all have a night of fellowship and learn about each other, where you're from in the world, what you do, what your likes are, your talents and all that. So I think that would be fun. So if you do, send me a message and I'll write your name down. And then when we do the Zoom meeting, I'll invite you to come to it. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate you too. Bless you all of you. Bye-bye. Make sure you listen to Kay tonight.